Good morning. Well, fasting's huge, right? God doesn't hear you any better because you fast, but it draws attention to what we're doing. It, it centers our heart that we're about to enter into this holy moment with God. It's great. Uh, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a fast from hair products <laughs> tomorrow. I'm just going to let it be what it is. We have been starting a conversation, uh, and that conversation is based on a C.S. Lewis quote, that life is made up of first and second things. Get the first things in place, the second things follow, Lewis said. Well, I offered my five. The first one was, we need to reclaim a sense of awe. We need to remember who God is, but remember him in a holistic way. He is transcendent. He is imminent. But if we just focus on the imminent part, that he's with us, then we'll lose the sense that he's transcendent. Get the transcendent part, it makes the intimate part even more special. Second, I suggested that what Jesus says uh, will be the greatest apologetic for us is that we love each other, we forgive each other, and we have unity. And that, that is what God is calling us to, and we need to do that. That's going to be some hard conversations, but the church needs to have that with individuals. Today, I want to offer a different one. I want to offer, and we'll go to the first photograph, uh, I like to go mountain bike riding. I do it with John Lundy. We go to Carbon Canyon. Uh, I've met some interesting creatures out there. I had to once jump a rattlesnake. I've come across two bobcats when I was by myself. Uh, that's pretty scary. It's like a German shepherd with cat-like features, and I knew nothing about a bobcat. So I watched him go across the path. I got off my bike. I walked my bike because I knew you weren't supposed to ride like crazy because that invokes their chase instinct. So I, got, I uh, talked to a ranger later, and he said, oh, don't worry about bobcats unless you corner them. Uh, that's a problem. But he said, but listen, a mountain lion, if you've seen the mountain lion, he's already seen you, and you need to be prepared. Well, let's say a mountain lion was chasing us right now, and we, we run from the mountain lion, right? And we just take off. I forget how far this door... Oh, hi, there's a dog here. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. You, you get to the door, and you slam the door shut, and the mountain lion is on the opposite side of the door, and he's banging into the glass. Now, my comfort is predicated on this door, right? If the door is bulletproof glass, I'm fine. I'm looking at the mountain lion saying, look, you want me? You want a part of me? You know? But... <clears throat> If this glass starts to crack a little bit, if it starts to show that the mountain lion might get in, I think to myself, oh great, I just locked myself in a room with a mountain lion after me. Let me make this argument. As Christians, I don't think we understand how strong the door is. I don't think we know how strong the door is. So we shudder anytime something bangs against the door, we don't know if the door is gonna hold. I've been teaching at Biola for um, 11 years, and I've really noticed with a lot of my students, they don't know how strong that door is. It'll cause massive problems. So we need to understand with our minds what our faith is about and how secure our faith is. Now let me show you an interesting passage uh, in Mark. Jesus is quoting one of the most ancient prayers of Judaism. This is Deuteronomy 6.4. It's called the Shema, where um, Jesus says, love the Lord. So the Shema is, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your soul. Um, <clears throat> notice what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That was scandalous back then. Why? He added 
to the Shema. Imagine the Lord's Prayer, right? I love that it was mentioned. <clears throat> so I say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. But I add to it. I, I kick one in. I say, and give us our heart's deepest desires. You'd be like, hey, wait a minute. I, I don't think you can add to the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus adds to this ancient prayer. He adds mind. Now, in the ancient prayer, heart was covered, soul was covered, strength was covered. Jesus adds mind. In a one way, he's being redundant. Heart in Hebrew means all of you. It means your emotions. It means your intellect. It means your volition, your will. So Jesus isn't adding to the Shema. He's isolating a part of it. He's saying, and I want you to love me with your mind. So how do we love God with all of our strength? It is through our heart. Through our soul and our mind is the result of having strength. I love today that we have focused on the heart. I love spiritual formation. I love spiritual disciplines. Fasting being a huge spiritual discipline. I think today we've seen a resurgence in, in approaching God with our hearts. But I still see us lagging behind when it comes to the mind. The mind is incredibly important, Peter says. Peter says this. I want you to revere Christ as Lord. I want you to set him aside as Lord. But how do you do that? What's the mechanism by which you grow more confident in who the Lord is? Peter says this. I want you to be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. You see, men and women today, there is a global conversation happening. C.S. Lewis is absolutely right. 96% of the world is deeply religious. Uh, theism is something you're born into. Him. Atheism is something you're taught. The United States is a deeply religious country. 85% uh, of Americans say they pray once a day. So we are deeply religious, deeply spiritual, and the world is having a conversation asking questions about God, and we as followers of God need to be prepared to jump into this conversation. What are the kind of questions they're asking about God? Let me throw these out to you. God can't be good because of all the pain and suffering in the world today. We live in a tragic world. Uh, you can't read the newspaper. You can't go online and not realize how tragic it is. In Oregon, another shooting where um, nine people are dead in a community college in Oregon. People today ask the question, well, where is God and why doesn't he do more, for crying out loud? Don't give me isolated answers to prayer. Why didn't he stop certain tragedies from happening? Doesn't he have the power to do it? Does he not care to do it? Where is God today if you're saying that God's watching over us? Another question. Christianity can't be the only way to God because Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, and Jews are just as sincere in their faith as Christians. So what gives you the right as a Christian to say that you're more sincere, that you're right? You're not the oldest religion, right? That's Buddhism. You're not the fastest growing religion. That's Islam. So what gives you the right to think that somehow you're more special than other religions? The biblical accounts of Jesus rising from the dead are merely lies created by the disciples. Conspiracy theories run amok from everything from 9-11 to the resurrection of Christ. We love a good conspiracy theory. So people are very skeptical that the disciples actually encounter the risen Christ. Uh, you can't judge another person because there's no ultimate sense of what is really right and wrong for everyone. Uh, there was a banner, UNC Chapel Hill, where I did all my grad work. They had Tolerance Week. So they always put up the same banner every single year. I saw it seven years in a row that said this, it isn't wrong to think you're right, 
but it isn't right to think other people are wrong. Right? So you can be confident in your beliefs, just don't judge other people. Well, as Christians, we feel like, yeah, but we're supposed to judge. I mean, we're supposed to use the biblical standard, right? And the most misquoted verse in the entire New Testament, Jesus says, do not judge lest ye be judged. But here's what Jesus means. Hey, that standard you use to judge that person, guess what? That standard applies to you as well. If you want to judge people in the relationship with God, you can be judged. If you want to use the Ten Commandments to judge people, you will be judged by the Ten Commandments. That's what Jesus is saying. So what do we do with these questions? And men and women, our kids are asking these questions. We get these questions at the high school level, junior high level, college level, and beyond. Some of us have no idea how strong the door is, so our um, response is to retreat from the door. I'll more move towards loving God with my heart, with my emotions, and I won't deal with those really hard issues. Now, what do we do at this point? Let me just suggest a couple things. I do think God has gifted the church with people whose job is to think about this 24-7. Biola has an amazing apologetics program. Apologetics simply means defending the faith. It means answering these kind of questions. So again, there are really complicated apologetic books that you'll hang on by your fingertips to try to understand them. But there's also some of us who have tried to write it with people having no background in apologetics whatsoever. Now, I'm not trying to hawk books. I make very little, my wife can attest, I make almost no money on these books at all. But we have decided to sell some of these books at the coffee table. One book I wrote with J.P. Moreland is called The God Conversation. That's what your kids call this conversation. When we ask the really hard questions about God, they call it The God Conversation. And you better believe we're all struggling at different parts to answer these kind of questions. So let me tackle today two of the questions that I think we need to wrestle with today. <clears throat> Why would God allow evil? This is the one that bothers me the most. I became a Christian at age 13. It started at age 13 and it continues to this day. I don't get it. Right? 9-11, I don't get it. If God knew it was going to happen, if you knew 9-11 was going to happen, if you knew it was going to happen, would you not stop it? Would you not step in and stop it? Do you know we actually have a law in the United States called depraved indifference? Depraved indifference means this. If you're going by a lake and you see a person drowning in the lake, you actually can be convicted of depraved indifference if you do nothing. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to jump into the lake and try to save the person. No, you both might drown and you're not qualified to jump into the lake. But you must do something. Throw that person a branch. Call 911. Try to flag down somebody. If you just went by and did nothing, you could be convicted of depraved indifference. How is God not guilty of depraved indifference? As he watches the Syrian refugee crisis, the largest crisis in the, since World War II, 9-11, <clears throat> the shooting in Oregon. Where was God at that point? Well, listen, this is what our kids wrestle with. This is what I wrestle with. I think it's more of a problem for Christians than it is even atheists. So what's our answer to why would God even do it? See, here's what doesn't make sense to me. God makes the garden, right? The garden is beautiful. It's perfect. Adam and Eve walk with God. Why mess it up? Why even risk messing it up? Why stick the knowledge of the tree, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And why allow Satan, presented as a serpent, access to Adam and Eve? Why would you do that? It has to do with what makes you human. This is why God would allow it. We have to ask the question, what exactly makes you a human being? Now, um, I wasn't here last week because my wife and I 
speak at marriage conferences, right? Um, and we did Sacramento. It was an awesome conference, some really powerful stories. Uh, my wife one time got me a Mr. Wonderful doll. Now this Mr. Wonderful doll, ladies, is everything you want your husband to say, right? Pre-programmed into Mr. Wonderful. All you gotta do is press his little tummy and this is what he says. Actually, I'm not sure which way to go. Yeah, I'm not sure which way to go. We'll just stop and get directions. Here, you take the remote. As long as I'm with you, I don't care what we watch. <laughs> I once gave my wife a Valentine's Day card that said, this Valentine's Day, I'm giving you a symbol of my undying love for you. You open it up, remote control popped up. It said, uh, I'm giving you access to the remote for 24 hours. And at the very bottom it said, this started yesterday. <clears throat> okay. How about one more? You know, Yeah, okay, wow, all right, enough of that. <clears throat> now, I went and ordered Mrs. Wonderful. This is fair, this is fair game, right? This is what Mrs. Wonderful says. Don't feel bad, honey. I forgot it was our anniversary, too. <clears throat> Here we go. You're right. We don't need directions. Maybe you'll find a shortcut. How about one more? Don't worry about taking the trash out. I can use the exercise. <laughs> I think that's great. I will often say to Noreen, honey, pace yourself. This doesn't have to be done in a day. Okay, so <clears throat> think about it. God, if he wanted to, could have made the Mr. and Mrs. Human doll. He could have pre-programmed us. Could have pre-programmed us and what exactly he wanted us to do and say. We could have said all day long, press the button, holy, holy, holy. Press the button, God, you are most worthy. Press the button, God, I'll never leave or forsake you. God could have pre-programmed human beings and guess what? He wouldn't have gotten World War I, World War II. He wouldn't have gotten Iraq. He wouldn't have gotten an AIDS crisis. He wouldn't have gotten a Syrian refugee crisis. He would have pre-programmed all that out of the human doll. The human doll would have done exactly what God wants. Now, why didn't God want that? Well, for the same reason, ultimately, you wouldn't want to be married to the Mr. Wonderful, Mrs. Wonderful doll. Now, some of you are saying, I'd love to give it a shot, okay? But <laughs> after a while, it wouldn't work. Why wouldn't it work? This is my test group right here. Why wouldn't it work? What would be boring about me married to the Mr. Wonderful, Mrs. Wonderful doll? Don't get to choose. Don't get to choose. What else? The battery would die? <laughs> yeah. My, my wife would say my battery is slowly dying. Um, uh, sincere. They, they're not sincere. Listen, God could have made the Mr. Human doll and everything would have been taken care of. Would have been no problems whatsoever. Not only do we see the fallacy of that, Jean-Paul Sartre, one of the great atheist thinkers, saw the fallacy of this. This is what Sartre said. The man who wants to be loved does not desire the enslavement of the beloved. He is not bent on becoming the object of passion which flows forth mechanically. He does not want to possess an automaton, a robot. Jesus had the exact same opinion. He's standing in front of Jerusalem, the symbol of religious pride in Israel, and this is what he says to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Probably the four most tragic words of the New Testament. You weren't willing. I gave you choice. I want your love, but I'm not gonna force you to, I'm not gonna force it. I want you to worship me, I won't force you to do it. 
I want this world to be a place of love, joy, peace, happiness. I will not force you to have that kind of world. Every day this world is a reminder that we're in rebellion right now. Now the good news is it's a short-term problem. One day God will take care of all the evil in the world and we will be ushered into the new Jerusalem. But the only way you get into the new Jerusalem is you have to want to be there. God's not forcing anyone to go into heaven because heaven is never going to become earth again. So you will be under God's rule, but you have to choose and make that decision for yourself. God will not force you to do it. I think that's one way to look at the problem of evil. And then I get hit with this. Well, does he at least care? And why doesn't he show it more? That God at least is aware of what's happening and it and that he has some kind of emotional reaction to it. That's powerful. So I love to share with students this. Does God even care? Let me give you this illustration. Father Damien is one of my heroes. In the 1800s, there was an island off of Hawaii that was a leper colony. Uh, on that leper colony, there was no schools, no priests, no medicine, no hospital. Father Damien, a perfectly healthy man, learned of that and said, I will voluntarily go and be the priest of this leper colony. And they said yes, and he went there. 13 years he cared for these lepers. Now, during those 13 years, what did those lepers think of Father Damien? Obviously, they admired him, they loved him, they were deeply appreciative. But there was one thing that always separated Father Damien from the lepers. He wasn't a leper. He could leave anytime he wanted to. Till the 13th year, his most famous sermon, he stands up in front of them and he says, we all stand as lepers before Christ, and opens his robes, and he has contracted leprosy. Now, what changed in that moment? is they recognized that you're one of us. It wasn't that he wasn't sympathetic before that, but now you understand because you are one of us. Listen to the most, so here's one of the most famous pictures of Father Damien, in fact, when he has leprosy uh, and eventually would die from it. So I love what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. That word empathize in the Greek means knowledge by way of common experience. So if you came up to me and you said, man, raising daughters, eh? I would look at, I have three sons. I'd say, yeah, I, boy, I can imagine, right? We go to football games, right? Boy, let's hear it for Bray Wildcats, one in overtime. Mm. Okay, so... It was not quite as robust as I thought. Okay. Um, so I have three boys, right? You come up to me and say, boy, raising girls. I'd be like, yeah, I can't imagine being at football games and seeing how girls dress. I can't imagine being the parents and having to fight that war on a regular basis, right? But, but you would say, well, thanks. But you've got sons. Yeah, I know. One time, Noreen and I went to a parenting seminar, and the guy was, um, he was great, but he didn't have kids. I just wanted to say to him, I just wanted, not, not that he didn't have good things to say, but I just wanted to say, dude, try that when you haven't slept in a month. Try that when you're so tired and you're, you just looked up a number of an orphanage and you thought, well, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> try it when you're just tired, okay? But if you come up to me and say, boy, raising boys, I'd be, we just look at each other. <laughs> By way of common experience. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be verbally abused. He knows what it's like to be physically abused. He even knows what it's like to feel abandoned by God, right? That haunting 
refrain from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's been there. He's had friends abandon him. Um, he's had to say goodbye to loved ones. He's had to watch the death of loved ones. Jesus knows because he's experienced it. That sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Muhammad would never claim any of that. Muhammad was a man. He was a prophet of Allah. He, he didn't even die according to Muslims because you, a prophet cannot die at the hand of an infidel. So um, Mo, um, Jesus and Muhammad never died. They ascended to go meet Allah. Why? Because there's no way Allah is going to let a prophet of his die at the hand of an infidel. Yet Jesus died. Why? For you. So it doesn't answer the problem of evil. It just lets us know that, one, God wanted you to be a human being, and that meant free choice. I'm sorry. It, it meant that we could choose to love him or not. You could worship Jesus or you could spit in his face, and he allowed both. God does deeply care what's happening on planet Earth. His heart breaks every single day. It broke uh, in Oregon uh, as that shooter was going around, and no doubt God was intervening with campus security, and uh, some people um, had an intuition of what was going on, right? So um, a couple expert, uh, ex-military, really advised people on what to do in that situation. But, but again, we long for him to do more. The answers are there. They're just not as satisfying as we'd long for them to be. Did the resurrection happen? You see, this is what we get hit with all the time. Tim, there's so many world religions today. I don't get why you like, picked Christianity and why you think it's better than everything else. And I say, listen, I'm not saying it's better than everything else. I'm saying I think it's true. And the one thing that we go to is the resurrection of Jesus with good reason. Paul says this about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Go find another religion because this one didn't work. Jesus is dead. So we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what sets Christianity apart. It, it validated all of Jesus' claims to be God and to offer salvation. Now, how do you know the resurrection happened? There are two ways we know it happened. One, I've actually experienced Christ. I, I've had prayer times with him where I have felt his presence. Not as many as I would love, but I can think of three or four times in my life where I really felt like there was the presence of God, of Jesus. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then I wouldn't have that experience. Now, that's not a slam dunk argument because you could say a Mormon could say I have uh, the burning in my bosom. A Muslim could say I experienced the peace of Allah, right? But it's one piece of the puzzle. The next piece is this. We ask questions about the disciples. Did they really create this elaborate lie that has fooled the entire world? Wouldn't they be um, found out if they did try to lie? So when I spoke at UCLA, when uh, they did a campus-wide survey, Campus Crusade for Christ did, and asked uh, non-Christian students, if you could ask God one question, what would be the question you would ask? Number one was, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Why doesn't God do more? Uh, and I answered that question by saying, you know, I think the resurrection shows us that God has conquered death and that Christianity uh, is what he's communicating to us in a world of need. I got hit with the questions, how can you tr trust the resurrection? I showed him this clip from American Idol. Now, American Idol, yeah, that's what you were thinking. I'd go to American Idol. Not the voice, American Idol, right? No. <clears throat> um, I love American Idol. There's something about it that a person you don't even know 
working a part-time job has a voice that is just a killer voice. I mean, Carrie Underwood, right? She was a waitress. Now she's a mega pop star, right? So I love it. This is a, a, true, a true story of a contestant who had a fascinating story and can just flat out sing. So let's watch this. Now, you're just going to have to trust the fact that the guy can flat out sing. He sings a Sam Cooke song called The Change Is Gonna Come, and he rocks it, gets four thumbs up. You're going in, and you're like a contender. Love American Idol. Love that story. Guy you've never heard of overcomes a war injury. Man, my only problem with it is it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Oh, was he in the military? Yes. Never got into a roadside bomb accident. Was never treated by one military doctor. Was never prescribed anything. It's all a lie. It's one huge lie. There's a group of people called the Men of Valor. They're sick of people getting up publicly and saying, oh, I fought in this battle. I got a Purple Heart. No, you say that publicly. It better be true. And we're fact-checking it. So they went and fact-checked him and found out there's no military records. The military cannot support one thing he said. Now, he denied, 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 and finally came out with this admission uh, in the papers, and this is what it said. Uh, everything you have read is correct. It was all lies. I, in fact, have lied since a younger age and had a problem with it. I'm coming out and making a statement, even though I was instructed not to because I do want to come clean. I do, in fact, take full responsibility for the actions and words I have said and know that this will never go away. In no way was I looking to take from everyone who has served. I started to believe my own lies, the lies end here. The men of valor had a vested interest in proving that was wrong, fact-checking it. Listen, the disciples are now claiming Jesus has risen from the dead. They're challenging religious power, the power of the temple. The Pharisees had a vested interest in going after the disciples, saying, you said Jesus rose from the dead, we're fact-checking this. And we're going to prove you to be liars. They could not do it. Now, would you die for a lie? Would you die for that lie? Would Matthew Farmer die for his lie? Now, people say to me all the time, but people die for lies all the time. Yes, but they don't know it's a lie. So let's say I'm a terrorist and I've strapped explosives to my body. I'm about to walk into a public square and detonate. And just as I start to step out, the recruiter says, oh, by the way, all that stuff about giving heavenly rewards and all that kind of stuff, just want you to know that was like a promotional shtick. Uh, it's not true. Now go get them. Go. I'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to blow myself up for a lie. Would the disciples die for a lie? So when you go back and look at the disciples, if they made the whole thing up, wouldn't anybody recant? If you're faced with a brutal death, would you not just pull back and say, listen, I got to tell you, it was a hoax. It was a lie. To our knowledge, nobody ever did this. And here is the perks that uh, the lie got the disciples, if in fact it was a lie. Uh, James was beheaded, Philip scourged, thrown in prison, crucified, Matthew slain with a crude half-axe, half-sword weapon called a halberd, Andrew crucified, Mark dragged to pieces, Bartholomew beaten and crucified, Peter crucified, John banished for a lie. Eusebius, one of our uh, ancient historians, Christian historian, imagined what the initial meeting would have sounded like if they're all going to make up an elaborate lie. Here's what he envisions it sounded like. Let us band together to invent all the miracles and resurrection appearances which we never saw, and let us carry the sham even to death. Why not die for nothing? Why dislike torture and whipping afflicted for no good reason? Let us go out 
to all nations and overthrow their institutions and denounce their gods. And even if we don't convince anybody, at least we'll have the satisfaction of drawing down on ourselves the punishment of our own deceit. On three, break. Go. <laughs> so men and women, the problem of evil is a problem. Most Christian apologists I know, from J.P. Moreland to William Lane Craig, will say the problem of evil is the number one challenge to Christianity. A belief that God is good, he's present, he is imminent. And yet so many bad things happen in the world today. Hey, I love that we have a prayer ministry. I love hearing stories about answered prayer. But let's be real. Uh, we have a really good friend at Biola who we prayed. She got the cancer report. And we prayed that she'd be healed. And the results came back. It was the worst form of cancer. And right now, bar a miracle, she's going to die. I mean, what do you do with that? What do you do when you're like my friend Bill, who was out of work for two years and three different times he was one of the top two candidates? You better believe we prayed. You better believe we fasted. And each time they overlooked him and took the other person. I mean, what do you do? What do you do if you're C.S. Lewis and you get married late in your life to a woman, Joy, and it comes out that she has cancer and he prays for a miracle and guess what? She goes into a remission. And Lewis is like, this is awesome. God's great. Then it comes back and she dies very quickly. You know, at the funeral, uh, C.S. Lewis's good friend who did the funeral said to him, well, Jack, I guess we have a chance to trust God now, don't we? And C.S. Lewis looked at him and said, no, we have a bloody mess. And just walked away. And if you've never read A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, talking about the death of his wife, it is haunting. He said, I believe God is real. I know too much to deny that. I don't think he's good anymore. I just don't. And then he said, I wrote that last night. It was a scream rather than a thought. And this is the great C.S. Lewis. The problem of evil is for real. We're going to have to answer it. One, to partake in a world conversation that's happening right now. Second, we need to answer it for our kids. And then we need to answer it for ourselves. Do we believe the resurrection happened? Sure, the Bible says so. Okay, why is the Bible? The Bible is inspired and not the Quran, not the Bhagavad Gita, not the Vedas. So Jesus is simply saying this, I want you to love me. I want you to love me with all your heart. I want you to love me with all your soul and with all your strength. But I'm going to isolate something that I think is going to be a concern. And that is we will not love him with our minds. And that's what we need to do. I love this verse from Nahum. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. You know that word refuge can be translated fortress? And if you take a look at an Old Testament fortress, the most important part of that fortress was the door. If the door was weak, they're getting in. If the door was strong, you could withhold it. So men and women, right now we need to ask a vital question today. In a world of suffering and pain, in a world of competing religions, how do we know Christianity is authentic and true? Well, it's based on the door. Now let me just be honest with you. That door is not an impenetrable door. God didn't set up the world like that. I don't know why, but he didn't. He said this, it is impossible to please me without faith. 
without trust. It's impossible to please me. So God did not set up the world that it would be a slam dunk. I cannot prove to you 100% that God is real. I can't prove to you 100% the resurrection happened. I can't prove to you 100% that Jesus is God. I can't. God didn't set up the world that way. Now, with all my heart, I believe Jesus is God, and I believe the resurrection happened, and I believe Christianity is the way to get to God. But at the end of the day, me, like every other person in Fullerton, Brea, and uh, La Habra are taking a step of faith at the end of the day. We are stepping out in faith. And as the great Pascal said, my heart has reasons my mind knows of, but my mind better have reasons when the heart isn't working like it should be, when we just don't have that emotional experience with God, the head better kick in and say, but listen, do not question in the darkness what you believed in the light. We've got to trust God. So again, what's the first step? Well, let's have these conversations. Uh, I remember when Bonnie got up and spoke. I think she's here. Uh, Bonnie got up and spoke and was so transparent about issues of faith, right? That's important. What I loved about Mike's preaching is he got up and said, I struggle. Man, we need to hear that more. There's nothing wrong with struggling. There's nothing wrong with doubting. We all are at different places when it comes to the door. And some of you believe that door is about to crack. And you can give some really good reasons why you just don't think the door is strong anymore. We need to be compassionate and listen to you. I'm not advocating reading a book, but for some of us, there are haunting questions that just nag at us and you're allowing Satan to take those questions and weaken your belief in the door. Again, find a book that's readable. Don't jump into the deep end. Have conversations with people that are compassionate and knowledgeable. So I'm going to pray that we don't run from the door. The last thing God wants you to do is, oh, just pretend the door is strong. I know you don't believe it's strong, but just buck it up and believe it is. No, God wants us to sit down and say, I have doubts. Help my unbelief. That will be a profitable conversation. And at the end of the day, we love God with our heart and mind, then we will be a vibrant church that can handle a world of pain and suffering, a world that's answering questions. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you. We love you. We do. We are so thankful of Jesus, his death, his suffering for us, that he's sympathetic because of his experience. Father, we confess that as we watch the news, we see a world that's spiring out of control. We see pain and suffering and heartache and... Father, there was a time we mistakenly believed that the United States was immune to this, that it wouldn't happen here, but it has. Father, I don't think you caused it. You allowed it. Let us be the ones who step up and say, let me tell you about the love of God, and let me tell you maybe some of God's thinking on these issues. Father, let us never be a church that wipes uh, swipes doubts underneath a rug that pretends the door is made of titanium when we have deep fears that it may be buckling. Father, we love you. Meet us as a church as we seek to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. We pray in Jesus' name.